Hello and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Sober Bliss Meets with me Gail from Sober Bliss and today I'm really excited because I'm joined by one of my lovely, lovely clients, Kate and Kate is, um, I'm not sure how many months alcohol free are you now Kate six months now six months yay well done oh that's so awesome um so yeah welcome Kate um and we started working together back in July didn't we so just before we kind of get into like where you were then and what the journey's been like um can you just tell us how you're feeling now at six months alcohol free? Well, thank you, Gail, for having me on. Um, it's yeah, it's a real scary privilege to be asked and invited to speak to you. And um, so, six months on, I feel free is oh. probably the word that I would use. Um, I feel like I have space in my head. I feel like the endless conversation which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next um, you know 20 minutes or so about the endless ruminations about drinking should I drink can I drink how much will I drink all of that has just stopped and my head is just a peaceful place to be and um, I went through the pink cloud phase at around 40 days which was lovely it's worth giving up just to go through that you feel like you're <laughs> invincible <laughs> sadly it doesn't last forever but um the sort of peace and clarity that comes with that does last forever so I think um mm. probably like three words to sum up how I feel I feel free I feel proud uh, yeah. of my achievement and I feel like I have clarity in my life and the control is back with me rather than having given it to something else yeah yeah and that's no small thing at all no, really not is at it all. <laughs> not at all oh well done I'm so happy for thank you, you so much and I <laughs> really <laughs> enjoyed working with you obviously not the whole six months but we were together for three months um and it was such a joy to see you you grow and get more confident and like you say leave all of that behind and find the peace and the clarity um so would you mind sharing with us like kind of where you were when you pressed the button and booked a call to chat to me yeah of course well if you'll forgive me for going back a little bit further than that um, and just to kind of give some context um so I'm 44 and I work in a professional job um where I I think my stress at work is pretty high um I might as well say I'm so I'm an anaesthetist and I think one of the things you learn at medical school is how to drink it's not the official curriculum but it is taught every day after lectures and so I think doctors most people appreciate they have a very high stress working environment and working in an operating theatre is high stress Mm. 
And so one of the ways that we do compress is that we play hard and we work hard. And um, I think, you know, uh, all through my 20s and 30s, um, it was just a normal way of life. And I probably should caveat this by saying that um, I don't ever think that I um, had a problem with drinking in the sense that it was um, interfering with my work. I would never, ever, ever drink before a day at work. But come the weekend, when I knew that I didn't have an on-call or any work to do, I would always end up drinking more than I wanted. And that might not actually have been that much when I compared it to what my friends were drinking. Mm. And when I started to sort of have these internal conversations about whether I was drinking more than I wanted to, people would always reassure me that, oh, you've got nothing to worry about. You just drink normally. I never disgraced myself. I never behaved badly. I didn't upset people or insult people. In fact, I was a really happy drunk. <laughs> I was always yeah. telling people how much I love them and how happy I was to have them in my lives. And so I think I was quite, I think I was quite fun to have around in the party spirit. And I never associated drinking with uh, depression or, you know, people talk about numbing emotions. It was never that for me. It was always a celebration and something that was fun and positive. But I think in my early 30s, something changed really and I found that my drinking behaviours were no longer making me happy um, yeah. I would go out to have a few drinks and always end up drinking more than I wanted to and then the consequences of that when I woke up the next morning as I got older and less able to just sort of throw off a hangover like you can in your 20s is that I just felt rotten in the daytime and then I think that just set up the cycle of cognitive dissonance really I wanted all the fun of the booze the night before but I didn't want to deal with the hangover the next day and I think as you've probably uh, learned about me over the last six months I'm quite a reflective person and I have quite mm. high standards for myself and I do a lot of stuff outside of work like um, cycling and triathlon and that and I was finding that um, it was interfering with all the things I wanted to achieve um, and so this sort of question started to um, come up in my head in my early 30s about do I really want to be drinking this much and then I decided probably at around 35 but I didn't that I wanted to start taking control and that was really interesting because mm. at the point when I decided right you're going to go out you're only going to have two glasses of wine this evening and then that's it suddenly I was finding that I wasn't really able to stop at the two glasses of wine um, you know, once I'd had a couple of glasses, I was like, bring the party on, let's yeah. keep drinking. And I no longer cared that I'd set these rules for myself. And then, as I'm sure many listeners will understand, because I've read in a lot of sober uh, lit books since that lots of people have the same internal dissonance. They want to set these limits and then they find that they can't. And then they wake up at three o'clock in the morning with a terrible hangovers and 3am terrors thinking oh god I've done it again why I've set myself these limits why is every other aspect of my life totally controllable but this seems to be uncontrollable mm -hmm. and then I think over the next five years or so I just ended up in this spiral well not spiral this circle really of, of setting limits breaking them setting them breaking them and then just ending up feeling really bad about myself for not being able to control this one thing and I think it just grew in, in importance for me over the years and so um to fast forward a little bit about I suppose about six years ago I decided right uh, I'm going to take a bit of a break from drinking and I reached out for the first time to a coach online who said to me yes you have to give up drinking for three months I was like sorry no that's not what I was asking for at all um <laughs> What I wanted is for you to give me a few handy hints and tips 
so that when I go to the bar, I can stop at two glasses. And it's funny, I look, I look back now, sort of six, seven years later, and she was absolutely right, of course, but I wasn't ready to hear that. Yeah. So I completely ignored her. I carried on in my own merry way. And then when I turned 40, I decided that I would take a year off from drinking. And mm-hmm. I dressed it up in all sorts of self-delusional things about um, checking in with myself and making sure I could socialise without drinking. And I didn't have any kind of problem. It was just a social experiment. And this is what I told to all my friends who all thought I was crazy for giving up for a year. But I did do a year. And um, it was a revelation. Um, at the beginning of that year, I read the book, which I didn't realise at the time had only just been released by Annie Grace, um, This Naked Mind. And mm-hmm. it was like stepping outside of the matrix is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Um, suddenly I, I felt like I could see alcohol, I suppose without the sort of rose-coloured glasses that we're all brought up. It's a celebration, it's a commiseration, it's an everything, it's a crutch mm-hmm. for everything. And that year um, was just brilliant. And there was nothing negative. There was absolutely nothing negative and so many positive things. But of course, when I turned 41, I was like, right, that's it, I've cracked it. Now I know how to moderate. I don't need alcohol. I can just have a nice time without it. So when I have the occasional gin and tonic glass of wine, it will be lovely. So um, about a year and a month after my 40th, I had my first drink. And for about, I would say 18 months, it was all fine. But then fast forward and 18 months later, I was back in exactly the same position, drinking more than I wanted to, waking up, feeling rotten the next day. And I, I just felt out of control, I guess. Um, so fast forward to your question. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get to the answer. Um, six months ago, I, so between then and now, I've probably taken several periods of time off drinking three months here a phase with one year no beer where I did a 90 day challenge and I'm always happier when I'm not drinking and I was on holiday for two weeks before I got in touch with you and I was in a beautiful part of the world it was our first holiday after COVID we'd had a very bad COVID time obviously being in an institutional in the intensive care unit working with uh, patients who are very sick for the disease and it was our first break after after that yeah and I, I kind of let my hair down and just thought, right, just enjoy yourself. And you know, Gail, every morning on that two weeks lovely holiday, I woke up hungover. And I just had this revelation. I was like, Kate, what are you doing? Do you want to be enjoying all the water sport activities you could be doing? We've gone to kite surfing, to scuba dive. And I did all the things like I always do, but I did them feeling sick, gastritic, in a bad mood wishing that I could just be in bed or waiting till four o'clock to come so that it was acceptable to drink for a bit of hair of the dog again. Mm-hmm. And I just had this moment where I thought to myself, you just have three choices in your life. And one, you can continue this endless battle to moderate and you can continue the rest of your life, it would seem to me, feeling like you're failing every day at what you're doing. This endless conversation about drinking in your head that just goes round and round and round and never ends so that was option one just continue to fail option two was just to surrender and think fuck it excuse my French (laughs) I'm going to drink as much as I want when I want however I want so that isn't an option for the job I do because I have to be fully present um so 
and and then the other thing is I'm planning to take a bit of a career break next year and I was worried that without the protection of, of my strict rules around my work that removing those and being unemployed for a six month period then maybe I would be allowed to drink every day if I wanted to and that terrified me because I don't want that life and then the third option suddenly seemed clear well the third option is you can just stop drinking and give yourself that peace and clarity and so um, I came back from that holiday and the first thing I did when I got home was google you or, or, or hit reply to your email because I think in one of my many 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 goes round the merry-go-round I had obviously looked at your website through Googling Sober Coaches and I was on your mailing list and receiving your emails and I just got back and thought, Kate, you've, you've been around this dance so many times and whatever it is hasn't stuck, so you need to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm one of those people I don't often ask for help and I thought you really need to ask for help because there's no shame in that at all. No, there's no so, at all. And so I pressed go and I contacted you and you emailed me back within a day and then we set up a call for the following week and the rest is history. <laughs> I yeah. said, sorry, it was, was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but I think a really important answer because I'm sure so many people listening to that can relate to the turmoil in our heads, really. And you know, we don't have to have like a rock bottom moment. We don't have to have anything no. bad to happen. It's just, we have to kind of reach the point where we think, well, I don't want this taking up so much space in my yeah. head anymore. And I think the main thing with, you know, this journey is, is it making you unhappy? If so, yeah. would I be happier without it? forget the labels, forget the stigma, forget, you know, other people, which I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But at the end of the day, if it's making you unhappy, and if mm. it's making you feel like you're failing at life, like you said, then that's the most important thing to consider not, you know, what if, you know, my friends drinking more than me, or they're drinking less yeah. than me, or my own alcoholic, and all of those things. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I think, and thank you. <laughs> I think that's so true that um, you waste so much time worrying about the labels that you can apply to yourself, or rather I did, you know, I could speak to my own experience, but the number of times that I googled, am I an alcoholic? And I'd answer all those questions that the internet throws up at you. And the answer yeah. was no. And then I'm like, oh, well, that's okay. I'm not an alcoholic. So I can carry on exactly as I am. Yeah. And what I realized is it's it just completely the wrong question. It doesn't matter what label or how much you drink compared to other people. What matters is, you know, is alcohol in interfering with the life I want to live? And the answer was just a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. And so, it, again, it was a bit of a light bulb moment, like stop asking that stupid question because it's just keeping you stuck where you are and where you are is not a happy place. So ask yeah. a different question. Yes, I could live a better life than this. And I think um, the other thing that I found really fascinating comparing uh, four years ago when I took that year off drinking uh, compared to now is actually how much more resource there is out there. Um, there yeah. were a couple of sober blogs back then and Annie Grace was obviously starting her business. Um, and I was just lucky that I happened to come across her book. Um, but coming back to it 
four years later and there's so much stuff now books written by people you know just like me like um I know we've talked about the sober diaries by mm. Claire Pooley yeah. I thought that book was brilliant and um I read a book called Mrs D is going without by Lottie Dan and okay. as I read it I thought well I don't have to write a book now because these women are describing exactly what I am going through and and that I found really helpful to you know because as you just said you don't need to hit a rock bottom you don't need to be you know drunk in a police cell or crashing your car four times a week and the first time round, it seemed that the stories that I could access were of people whose lives had just exploded because of their drinking and I was like well I don't relate to that that mm-hmm. whole kind of disaster AA model but I do relate to the kind of like woman who's holding it together she's got a full-time job and a family and all those things and this drinking is kind of like on the sidelines so again you know the podcasts and the books that are available now just have been incredibly useful I think yeah they are um not in terms of kind of offering help and support which they are amazing at but also inspiration as well and that right kind of knowledge that actually I'm not alone there are the people yeah. going through it and who have gone through it so if, for me because I've read the sober diaries as well like when I first quit I think I binged read it in two yeah. days or something <laughs> and it was like gosh you know well if this person can do it then surely I can do it as well yeah that's right and also I think when you when I contacted you I I was just think the best way to say it was just in despair I was hopeless and I'd just been round and around and around the same track so many times Hmm. and then to realize that you're not mad because you're you're you feel mad inside your own head because you feel this way about drinking and how your drinking behavior is but other people are telling you that you're normal you've got nothing to worry about don't worry and like my wonderful wonderful husband who is the luckiest man in the world because he's one of those really rare people I think who can have a beer and be like oh that was so lovely I don't need any more beer <laughs> and he always used to say to me you know you, you never misbehave or whatever I don't know why you worry so much about it or he would say just just have one why why don't you just have one because you enjoy it I'm like oh my god you don't understand it I would love just to have one and so yeah. you know if I'm completely honest if I could have my wish, what I wish is I could drink like he drinks. Mm. But what I finally realised over the last seven years of rumination is I can't. So stop wishing that you could have this thing because it's not for you. Um, accept where you are and what you've got and then make a decision based on the reality of who I am. But the reality of who I am is I don't want one drink. I want one bottle of drink. Yes. <laughs> so, and not one small bottle of Corona beer like he likes. <laughs> yeah. So... So, uh, yeah, the, the sort of freedom of realising that. Um, and again, lots of people I've read have talked about moderation just being an impossible goal. Mm. I, I'm sure there must be people out there who, who do achieve it. Like the guy who um, runs um, One Year No Beer, he, he drinks moderately and occasionally. Mm. But it doesn't work for me. And it's much more peaceful in my head just to make the decision. And the decision is no. And then it's one choice. As you said to me before, you make the decision and then you stick with it and then it's easy because it's not an endless stream of 100 decisions a day, it's just one. Exactly, yeah. And that's what kind of got me through and what made it, I think, a lot easier than it could have been was Mm -hmm. just saying to myself, okay, Gail, you're not drinking, so what are you going to do instead? 
and that was much easier to kind of cope with as opposed to well you know the whole moderation nightmare really which I think it is a nightmare yeah I think it's a nightmare I remember us having a conversation about two months in and I'd had a particularly busy week and you know um your normal response is to come home and open a bottle of wine says Kate who just said that she never used it to numb feelings I suppose maybe that wasn't entirely true and um but I remember talking to you and saying I feel I literally feel like I've I've shut a monster in the cupboard and if I open that crack a little the arms of that monster are going to come out because it's not just one drink and and I think for me I think you you told me this to play it forward or, mm. or to um you know play the tape forward yes that one drink might be wonderful but that one drink is going to lead to the second drink and then most likely to the fourth and the fifth and the sixth drink and yeah. those drinks are not wonderful mm. um and so actually to be realistic and I think in um the unexpected joy of being sober Catherine Gray talks about if you want to maintain your sobriety then you have to unpick the fantasy that you've got in your head and destroy mm. that fantasy because you know we all dream of sipping magnas on a sunny day surrounded by friends in a pub beer garden well yeah that might be the first magnas of the day that you drink but but that's not the only one you're going to have so by yeah. the seventh when you're crawling around on the floor and your hair's all over the place and you're being sick in the toilet it's not quite so romantic and dapple sunshine so I found that really, really useful. Just to not stop at thinking about the one drink. Yeah. Play forward to the, the fifth drink. Yeah. So that's that's helpful. But for me, moderation is just um, just a losing game, really. Yeah, it is. It is. And actually, I think it's important to say that you know it's not drink number three or four or seven which kind of does the damage or does us harm. It's drink number one. because that obviously leads on to the others so if you can and I suppose it's just thinking about that drink number one you know if the thought of never drinking again is too much for you then I'm sure if you think okay well if I just don't have this drink then I'll feel differently and then I'll feel better because it is true you know what it's like when you have a craving they only last a little while and you feel completely different after you've got through it as you know, when they started. So I suppose it's just thinking about the short term in the beginning, because that short term will affect the longer term. So yeah, playing the movie forward, that is such a brilliant uh, Mm -hmm. technique, but don't worry about drink seven, eight or 10, just focus (laughs) on drink one. One and not having it. (laughs) And not having it, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I think um what I really hang on to now I've found over the last six months um is the first time you do anything is the hardest time so I yeah. remember texting you when I went on holiday and it we we were on a beach and we were kite surfing and the normal thing is you finish your day's kite surfing you pack up your kit and then you sit and have a beer on the beach and I was having had a fairly easy ride actually I think through the first four months I was shocked at how hard that was Mm. Um, and also made difficult because we were in quite a remote place and there was no alternative you know, there was no alcohol free beer or fancy yeah. kombucha or any other such stuff it was like water or beer that was the choice oh, <laughs> and it was quite funny because the waitress at the um the cafe the beach cafe 
uh, she kept thanking me, would you like a beer? And in the end, I said, no, I don't drink. And that's the first time those words have come out of my mouth, which was also quite a revelation. And she looked at me and she said, but why not? And I, I, looked, I hadn't expected her to ask that question. And I said, uh, it makes me really sick. And she just put her hand on my arm and said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I said, thank you for your sympathy. I'll have another water. But, but <laughs> the point of the thing is that by the fourth day, the new habits had been formed and I was no longer um, you know, thinking about the beer. And, and back to that whole thing about making a decision, because I had made a decision that I was not going to drink anymore, it wasn't like I was, I was having a craving, but it wasn't like I ever worried that I was going to give way to that craving. It was just this annoying mosquito that kept buzzing around me. And I was like, would it just go away because I'm not going to have a drink? Yeah. Um, yeah, one of my friends said to me years ago, she was doing a master's in business and she said that they'd have this lecture about psychology of decision making. And um, she's a doctor as well. And uh, you know, sort of obsessed with the Latin roots of words, she said that a decision, it comes from the Latin from D to remove and decision, you know, to excise. So to excise yourself from the thing. And she described oh, this wow. thing about being across a crossroads of a decision making point. And so you cut away the alternative route. And I found that really useful too in mm. stopping drinking. Like I have decided to stop drinking. I've cut away the the drinking life that I've had and now I'm on this path to not drink I don't know why I found that really useful but again just a point at which you're not going to keep looking at this I'm not going to keep questioning it I'm just going to accept that that's been made so yeah yeah so the first time is always the hardest and things have got easier each time that you come across the same situation be it socializing or a holiday finishing mm -hmm. a week at work you just I guess you set up new habits don't you yeah, you do. And it takes time and takes practice. Um, but you're right, as long as you have it kind of clear in your head that this is the path that I'm going down, mm -hmm. then it does make learning about all the new things and experimenting with different habits and routines a lot easier. Um, so to just going back to like when we had that first conversation, uh, at that point, had you decided that this is it, I'm not drinking anymore and I need help? Or did that decision come after we'd kind of chatted? No, I had realised that out of my three options to continue to moderate and fail, to give up and just drink as much as I wanted or to stop, it had to be option three. So when we spoke for the first time, uh, I hadn't had anything to drink for a week. And oh, I, was, that's right, yeah. I was certain that I did not want to drink again. And I think what I was hoping that you would give me, which you did, was kind of a safe space to be completely honest about how I was feeling. Um, mm. Because as I say, every time I turn to friends, well, no, that's not fair on, on, on them, actually. I was so mired in guilt and shame about this perceived failing on my part that I couldn't be honest with people about it. Mm. Um, and... So I would kind of touch around the outside of it with my friends and they would reassure me that everything was fine because generally that's what friends do. Um, mm. And, you know, in, in terms of being supportive towards you. And I think because all of the dissonance was going on in my head, I probably never really gave anyone the opportunity to support me, if I'm honest. Um, mm. Because I'm one of those people I quite like to appear like I've got it all together. <laughs> I don't like to be vulnerable. <laughs> 
so I recognized that I needed someone with whom I could be completely honest and vulnerable and also someone whose feelings I didn't have to worry about because you know I don't want to worry my friends or my husband or my yeah. parents or or anything I don't want to burden them with the problems that I've got in my head yeah. and so with you I was just able to talk to someone who got it who understood who didn't tell me that I was crazy mm. and just allowed me to speak honestly and work through what what I seemed to feel was crazy in my head and say no this is valid and you can do this and yeah. you just I, I was thinking about it today ahead of our talk and um you know you just kind of walked next to me and held my hand while I was doing it and honestly I will ever be grateful for that I, I can't say how how much it was such a relief just speaking to you for the first oh. time I just felt safe and held for the first time that's it's gonna make me cry now <laughs> I know I'm gonna cry as well oh, okay thank you that's so lovely um and yeah that's and what I think I'm here for. yeah and I I think um I didn't expect you to be like you were it's gonna sound really weird <laughs> I kind of I kind of expected you to tell me what to do and be kind of strict and stern and I remember coming off the phone to you the first time or from Zoom and um, just being really surprised at how gentle you were and, yeah. and how kind and just listening you were. I, I don't know what I really expected from coaching, but it, it wasn't what I got and what I got was so much better. Yeah. Um, you just created a safe space for me, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. And I think it's important for people to understand that, um, you know, they don't need to be told what to do because really it's it's their own journey, like it's your journey. And while, as you so lovely, lovelily, is that a word, said, <laughs> um, <laughs> that I am there for you and I do walk behind, beside you and, and hold your hand and hold you up if you can't hold yourself up you have to do it yourself in a way that feels good for yeah. you so basically me saying okay okay just do this 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 and this and you'll be fine because yeah. it, it might not work for you uh, and you right. have to figure it out yourself because yeah. at the end of the day my goal is to look after you if you like for that period of time yeah and then for you to go off and live your life happily alcohol free so you have to do it yourself and you have to have the space where you can make mistakes, try things out, figure them out, have a rant, have a cry, get it all out and just, you know, plot your own course, if you like. Um, and that is my aim. And I'm really pleased that you found that for yourself. Thank you. Yeah, I did. And I think um it's so easy isn't it to look at other people's lives and think oh well, you should do this and you should do that when mm. when we're dealing with other people's problems I've just finished that um the chimp paradox the second book uh he wrote a path through the jungle and he says the reason that we are so good at sorting other people's problems out is that when we look at them we're in human mode so we're in problem solving thinking and like yeah. lacking le less emotion but when we deal with our own problems we're in chimp mode and so we we have a whole load of emotional reactions that, that are missing when we look at other people's problems and I think um what I realized is that the first time around the merry-go-round you know when I first reached out to a, a coach I, I I wasn't ready to hear anything that she had to say and mm -hmm. um I just hadn't you know I hadn't made the 
point on the journey because everyone calls it these days to, to be receptive and to be ready to make change I wanted the change but I didn't want to make the change yeah. whereas when I met you I was like please help me to make this change it's got to happen um, <laughs> so I, I guess you know I look at it's what's been really interesting is I've had a few conversations with people now that I don't feel so ashamed I realize that um, where I was is, is normal many people are there and you know I know that we've talked about doing this podcast before and I was very anxious about doing it partly because of what I do for the job and because as I say I don't like to be vulnerable I like people to believe I've got my life ticking over and got my shit together <laughs> but actually I think that there are many people like me who feel this way but are really ashamed of it and one of the reasons that I agreed to do the podcast is in that kind of playing it forward way that you've helped me and I hope that being honest might help other people yeah. and already talking to friends a few people have intimated that yeah I do understand what you feel because I feel that too and I think we just don't talk about it in society today it's like this big secret around alcohol like it's our friend and it's our celebration and yeah once you step outside the matrix and you stop seeing it that way it's shocking how it just pervades everything in our lives and I'm don't get me wrong I'm not some sort of zealot in anti-alcohol I don't mind other people drinking at all if it makes them happy I have it in the house it doesn't bother me my husband still drinks his little beer as he calls it we're on a Saturday with his dinner but I I think it's um it's something that we don't talk about because yeah. we're all in this kind of emperor's new clothes secret let's not look at it and I yeah. think that's wrong yeah yeah I can relate because that's what kind of kept me stuck as well um you know I don't think anybody who saw me well maybe they did but they didn't say anything you know at the school mm. run in the morning when I mm. felt like absolute just death mm. would kind of know what I was going through because it's not something that you chat about um, no, you don't. because you're ashamed and yeah. you think oh gosh there must be something wrong with me because other yeah. people don't seem to be going through this um yeah. that's because exactly. we're not talking about it and I think that's the problem it's that we automatically assume that we are the ones with the problem not yeah. the thing that we're drinking is problematic um you know I'm quite happy to admit that I did have a problem with alcohol um I mm. relied on it for absolutely everything mm. but now that alcohol is not in my life I don't have a problem with alcohol <clears throat> so really I think that we should see alcohol for what it is without being like you said you know bit of a zealot and anti-alcohol but it is a poison it is toxic it does turn us into people that we're not and make us do things that we wouldn't necessarily do Mm. and that's on that not on us on us yeah I agree I agree and you know it's it's a real cliched line but it's the only drug that you have to justify not taking Mm -hmm. it's just mental and that was another thing that really kept me stuck and we talked a lot about this while you were coaching me was telling people that I'm not drinking and I was so worried about people's judgment and um, I was so worried that people would think I was boring or some (laughs) kind of like prude or party pooper Um, and I was also really worried about changing relationships you know yeah with friends who you know I've had good times with over the years and you know a lot of that has been around alcohol we've had some hilarious adventures and silly situations and I was really worried that my relationships would change on a fundamental level with those friends and that a kept me stuck 
and B then kept me silent after I'd given up. It took me quite a long time actually mm. to tell certain friends that I had stopped drinking. And um, again, it's all about your own shame and your own, I suppose, hang up because all of the people that I confided in properly with, with um, honesty have mm. all been 100% supportive. They've been so fantastic and have all of them said, you know, we just want you to be happy and however you live your life to make you happy. We're, we're happy for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been a really... <laughs> it has and been all these... a fascinating journey watching you and I remember right at the beginning you were worried about this particular friend and what she would say how she would react what you would say and I think you worried about it all the way through and then when it finally yeah. happened it was exactly like you've just said she was yeah. so delighted for you yes she was and we had we were going to spend a weekend together. We don't see each other very often because we live a long way apart. And um, she's my, you know, oldest, bestest friend. And um, I sent her an email probably about a month before we were due to meet because I wasn't sure with COVID whether it was all going to be possible at all. So mm. I thought, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep my powder dry until we know it's going to happen. <laughs> and I was very honest in the email. And um, oh, she was just wonderful. And we had the best weekend together. We really did. And um, the thing that I love about not drinking is that you get to live every single minute of your life. This is probably the one biggest revelation for me. Mm. I don't have to choose anymore. Do I want to go out to dinner and, and you know, or go to the pub or whatever? Because I know that will impact my training session the next day. I won't be able to cycle properly. So should I not go and then be able to cycle? Or should I go and pretend that I'm not going to drink as much? And then, of course, wake up at 3am with all that. Oh, you've done it again. Why yeah. did you drink too much? But instead, we, we we went out for dinner, we had wonderful meals, she drank, I didn't, we laughed, we uh, got up early in the morning, I went to the gym, we went shopping, we, you know, did sightseeing, we had such a great time, and every minute of that was um, lived to the full, it was lovely, as opposed to, if I'd been drinking, I would have egged her on to drink more, we would have ended up, you know, out till 3am, I mean, you know, as it was, we were sat in bed drinking, this sounds really boring, but drinking tea till like 1.30 in the morning. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, but we were we were laughing and it was great fun. And then we got to do everything else the next day. Yeah. And, and I think that's the other thing I kidded myself on, um, that all, all my friends will make me drink more. And, you know, the truth is, Gail, probably I was the one making them drink more. And they're probably bloody relieved that I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> now they get to stop too and have tea in bed at one o'clock in the morning rather than take dragging them to the next bar <laughs> to keep the party going so yeah I think that whole thing about not no longer having to choose what on your list of things you want to get done is the most important and it was always drinking um yeah actually just being able to enjoy everything the food the conversation laughing and then getting up the next day and doing all the things you want to do it's a revelation for me yeah it is and you can do everything you don't have to choose anymore or you don't have to um like build in recovery time or schedule yeah. a special day off work um you yeah. can still yeah. go out enjoy yourself and then still go to work if you want to yeah. the next day you don't have to um yeah. miss out on anything because you can do it all only yeah. if you want to you know yeah um, yeah or not or, or just not. relax and enjoy yeah and, and I think I worried too that um 
socializing would be boring without drinking. Mm. And again, that's just not true. You're present, you're engaged, you, you're, you're there listening to people, your stories are more funny. Well, I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> at, least you're, at least you're telling them in a coherent way. You're not just, you know, slurring and rambling. Um, and um, I, I remember also reading in one of the many books, or maybe it was on a podcast, that people were saying, oh, you know, people worry that they're going to be perceived to be boring once they stop drinking. And they made the point that they were going to this sober gathering in the park. I think it might have been on the Sober Orchid podcast, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, and anyway, they were saying that there was a gathering of people who'd stopped drinking. And as one of the um, women who does the podcast pointed out, like, how could it possibly be full of boring people? They were so exciting that they had to stop drinking. <laughs> like, this is the, the gathering where you're going to have the best stories because, you know, people didn't just wake up and think, oh, I'm so boring well, I'm contradicting myself saying you don't have to drink to be excited but you know what I mean it doesn't yeah. you're not like some retiring snowflake because you don't drink you oh quite the opposite exactly so all of those you know stereotypes and prejudices are just I think completely wrong yeah they are they are they are absolutely wrong uh, and you actually are the least boring person that I've ever met and <laughs> in our time together you were off doing so much I was just like wow this is amazing <laughs> all the things that you did and lots of firsts as well which we yeah. talked about as they were approaching and um and you've just kind of sailed through everything really I think you're doing like really, 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 really well. You Thank are. You. Thank you. <laughs> um, would you mind uh, sharing with our listeners, Kate, what your kind of impression was about the coaching process as a whole and how it how it helped you to get to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I think when I got in touch I had an idea of what the coaching process would be like and it wasn't anything like that at all <laughs> so it was a real um, surprise to me and I when I called you and we spoke I think I was in such a dark place as I've already said you know I was full of shame and I felt like inside my head was just this kind of like dark black cloud of negative emotion and I expected that you would want to talk about that, like what's brought you to this point and tell me about your childhood and what was your terrible rock bottom, which of course I didn't really have one. So I was pretty boring in that respect. Yeah. But what really surprised me is that you didn't ask any of those questions. You kind of took it as read that I had obviously reasons to come to you and you just encouraged me to kind of put them in a box and put them aside because that wasn't the point of what we were here to do. Um, which isn't to say that you belittled at all how I was feeling you kind of just took it as red yeah I accept that you're mm. full of all negative emotions now what are we going to do about it and your approach um as I've already said you were really gentle and um I, safe that's the best way I can uh say it and and kind of welcoming um and what you brought into it was this um sense of abundance um what do I mean by that? Like, rather than looking at all the bad things about drinking and all the negativity you want to eject from your life, what you did was made me look at all the positive things that can be gained from not drinking. So it wasn't a case of giving something up. It was a case of opening up your life and welcoming good things in. Um, and, you know, it sounds a bit 
woo-woo to say it, but to welcome in better vibrations and more kind of more positive energy into life. So, you know, looking at the um, the fact that you have more time, that your brain becomes clear, that you get that lovely pink cloud around sort of a few weeks in. Yeah. Um, just welcoming all that new stuff in. So not looking at the negative, but welcoming in the positive. And that was a real revelation to me. And I hadn't expected that. And then when we chatted, um, we were talking two times a week. So that was really good too, because I had two anchor points in the week. And as I say, because of my own um, personality, I, I wasn't sharing much with other people, but it was a time when A, we could talk about the challenges of which there were some, make plans as to how I was gonna, um, navigate those challenges and I could talk through what I thought was the right thing and you could sort of realign some of my <laughs> crazier thoughts and that was really helpful um and I think um just being not accountable because I say by the time I'd come to you I'd made the decision I was going to stop drinking so it wasn't like I needed you to keep me on that path but it gave me this safe space to kind of practice conversations, to practice like how I was going to tell people that I'd stopped, what was my sort of line going to be, because no one wants the whole of this podcast delivered to them when they say, oh, do you not want a gin and tonic? <laughs> they don't want your whole life story. So how to, to kind of navigate that kind of thing. And I think also to celebrate the successes. Um, yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite hard on myself. And if I don't... Um, do everything exactly 100% perfect, then I tend to think of it as a bit of a failure. Whereas you were able to say, no, but you did this and that was fantastic. And I got to stop and say, well, actually yeah, I did do that. And it is okay that I'm feeling pleased with myself. So you really encouraged me to, to celebrate the successes, which I think without you, they would have just passed by unnoticed and I wouldn't have realized that I was making progress. So I think the coaching style that you do that really worked for me um, was just this sort of, increase in abundance and positivity uh, and it's just it's been life-changing and and actually also changed how I see life generally not just about being alcohol free but being more ready to be happy about um I, what am I trying to say to be proud of my successes I suppose when normally I tend to be a bit down on myself um and you know you talk about gratitude and I know it's a real kind of like buzzword at the moment but really to bring gratitude into your life and um that has stuck with me even though um you know we've not been doing one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching for a while now those things that I learned with you I'm still using now in a wider context yeah yeah oh that's so lovely to hear um and yeah, I think it's important that we do celebrate ourselves often, um, celebrate every moment, every achievement, because as you said, we're so good at beating ourselves up and focusing on the negative. Um, you know, yeah. that's not to say that if things like that need talking about, then, you know, we'll talk about it. But as you rightly said, I don't think we should focus on them because no. kind of that was then and we did the best we could I suppose yeah. with what we had at the time yes. but this is as you said a new chapter a new kind of way of life and things yeah. to look forward to even with everything that's going on in the world and as we are chatting now we've just had you know 
quite a lot of bad things being happening in the world but even then you know I do think gratitude and seeing the positive in everything does make a massive difference on this yeah. journey um, yeah it does and I think that thing about um um the, the shift in mindset that stopping drinking is not about giving up drinking you're not giving up anything you're welcoming no a whole load of better things into your life by removing this thing that sort of lowers your energy. Um, so I think that's probably the fundamental shift for me that's made mm. this, I, I hope has made this stick. You know, I'm six months in, I don't have any desire to drink again. This for me is for the rest of my life, but I would never want to be smuggle complacent because you never know. Um, I was listening to a podcast this morning, actually, uh, for, it was actually about sports, but this guy had previously been an alcoholic, like a proper down and out alcoholic on the park bench type thing. And he spent 13 years then running ultra marathons as his new addiction. And then he didn't achieve his PB. And, and 13 years later, he found himself in a pub drinking and he was like, what is going on? And I thought, mm, yeah, never be complacent. However, at the moment, I think that change in mindset about not giving something up, but welcoming other things in. So when people say, oh, don't you miss it? No, I, I don't, because what's to miss? Mm. Hangovers and feeling crap at 3 a.m. in the morning and feeling like you've let yourself down. I don't miss that at all. Yeah. And it's really weird, actually. Um, at the beginning, I started having drinking dreams where I would wake up having dreams that I'd got drunk. And then they were really useful because I'd wake up with that awful feeling of sickness that I'd, you know, I'd got drunk and it reminded me about how I don't want to feel. But in the last few weeks, it's been really strange. I've been having these dreams about not drinking. And so I've been in a situation where people have offered drinks and I've been like, oh no, I don't drink. And, and I had a dream. I, I won't bore everyone too much with the long details of this dream because other people's dreams are always really boring. <laughs> but I basically met an old school friend who I hadn't seen for 30 years. And she was sat behind me at the dinner table and I chatted to her. We had a lovely time. And in my dream, the next morning I woke up and thought, as in, in my dream, I woke up, I thought, isn't it great that I don't drink anymore? Because if I'd met her and I'd been drinking, I wouldn't have remembered that I'd met her and we wouldn't have had a lovely evening. So then when I actually in real life woke up, I thought, I hope this is my subconscious finally catching up and it's on board with the idea that this is a great idea, <laughs> that yeah. life is better without booze. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a good point to make actually sometimes we do have to kind of not force ourselves but make a conscious effort to look for the gratitude to mm. look for the joy to really you know find evidence I suppose that actually not drinking is the best thing for me and I can really have such a good time without yeah. the alcohol it does take yeah. effort and it has to be your focus in the beginning yeah. But then it's like any habit really isn't it the more you do it the more you repeat it the easier it becomes easier it gets. yeah Definitely. and yeah let's face it it's far better and nicer to focus on the lovely and the joy yeah. and the gratitude and the positive as opposed to beating yourself up about how crap things were in the past and yeah. what you didn't achieve because you were drinking and all of that yeah um, and then, yeah, you know, all of this practice and repetition, your subconscious and your head will catch up with your heart. Yeah. So it just becomes, you know, 
this is who I am now. I yes, just am yeah. a person who doesn't drink, and it's great. yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, and I think um that I realised too again from reading books and talking to you that everyone says it's just practice. You're learning how to be in a new way um and I, I guess you know ever since we were sort of 18 years old being British you're taught that going out involves drinking so it's not surprising that you feel awkward and anxious and weird when you go out and you don't drink you have to learn how to be in a social situation again and I'm, I'm still learning that yeah but what I'm learning is it's not as bad as I thought it was and actually I think it's better um and it's so lovely to be able to drive home at the end of the evening mm. um you know, and get into bed and again, wake up. So brilliant not having a hangover. Oh, th- being drunk is not worth the feeling of a hangover for me. No, so, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> I think um, the other thing that was really great about coaching with you um, is having had coaches in sports and stuff uh, in other areas of life, which I guess is a bit different, but there's always that slight anxiety about what happens at the end of the process, you know, the breakup, because the person <laughs> becomes so such a huge part of your life um, yeah. if you're like me and you're a real people pleaser you worry about breaking up with them at the end and um, you made that so like a natural process as you said to me I'm not here to to talk to you twice a week for the next 30 years unless you want me to in which case I'd be delighted to but you never made me feel guilty about being ready to step out on my own um, yeah. so that was really good as well that you know you you made it clear that my job is to help you while you need it and then you can kind of spread your wings by yourself so I was yeah. grateful for that too and the yeah. fact that we remain friends since has been lovely I know I know and um, and that is the whole point of what I do because you know I don't want you to have to need me forever mm. um that's you know not the point of this I think we said that earlier on as well the point is to be comfortable and confident in the new you if you like so that you can go out and do everything that you want to do without um alcohol I mean some people do need an extra month but that's absolutely fine but other people like you were like you know this is it I'm free I'm ready (laughs) and off I go which is so lovely to see um and I'm so pleased that we've kept in touch as well um and about you know all of the other things that you've done since we've broken up if you like (laughs) because you've been you've been back to that holiday destination haven't you I have yeah what was that like compared to yeah that was it was like sliding doors so we went to the same place because it's near where we live um and uh the first when we went before it was like all inclusive so the fridge was stocked with beer and Mm. you know wine and whatnot and as I say I decided I would drink as much as I wanted to so this time it was weird because um the room was the same we stayed in the same kind of accommodation and it was stocked with uh wine um because obviously they're hoping that you might drink it at vast expense because we didn't go all inclusive this time because as I say um my husband only drinks like one beer a day so we weren't going to pay the price it's like 160 dollars a day or something ridiculous I said you're gonna have to drink a lot of beer if we go all inclusive he's like no it's fine um it was just lovely we had um last time I wanted to walk around the island and I never did it because um you know it was too much effort and it was too hot by the time I woke up and then four o'clock comes and it's time to have a drink so you don't bother so I walked around the island every day um we were out snorkeling 
yeah, it was lovely. And up early enough to see the sun rising occasionally. Just, and, and then actually, do you know what was really lovely in the evening time? The stars were beautiful. And so we sat out the back of our room just looking at the stars. Well, last time we were there, I didn't sit outside the back of the room staring at the stars. I just passed out in the bed. So again, that whole thing of just um, living every moment of the day and really appreciating all the beauty, which I didn't get to see at either end of the day because I was either hungover or, or pissed again. <laughs> um, that was great. And um, that was so five and a half-ish months uh, not drinking. And so, you know, going for dinner and stuff was kind of normal. And I'm really lucky. Again, another thing I'm grateful for is that my husband doesn't drink very much. So it doesn't matter to him whether I drink or I don't drink. It's not part of our, you know, uh, yeah. relationship structure, which I'm, I know I'm really lucky for because a lot of people don't have that. Um, but again, you know, going for dinner was just lovely. Chatting with other people was lovely. You do become aware of how much other people drink and, and actually also how much other people don't drink. Because like when I, if I was in a social group, I'd constantly be obsessing about whether it was time to order another round and why don't they hurry up and drink a bit quicker so that I can go to the bar and buy everyone a drink. Um, so the sort of ubiquitous nature of alcohol is interesting that everyone is you know sharing wine at lunchtime and all that but equally watching people they do they might have the wine in front of them but they're sipping it whereas I'm yeah. I thought we laughed about this before I was a real gulper I'm yeah. like three gulps and the wine's gone right where's the next <laughs> other people have much more decorum than I used to so they're probably those annoying moderators who, yeah. who have it all under control <laughs> but yeah no it was it was an interesting thing to go back and Given the comparison of the two holidays, which one would I do again? I'd do the alcohol-free one again every time, every time. Yeah. And not getting, you know, the other thing about not traveling with a hangover, because I'm not sure whether you were the same when you were drinking. The last night of a holiday, well, there's no reason not to get pissed because all you have to do tomorrow is get on the plane and go home. And the number of horrendous plane journeys is so wretched. Yeah. It's so nice to feel refreshed and, you know, not exhausted from your holiday and then go back to work feeling like you've actually had a break. Yeah, yeah. Instead of kind of needing another holiday to recover from the holiday <laughs> that you've just had. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kate, uh, just before we go, I've got a couple more questions for you. Uh, sure. I've talked to you all day. Um so one of the questions was um, that obviously you are in a different place now compared to when we first chatted, but what, um, what tools do you think that you've learned along the way are ones that you'll take with you to help you maintain, you know, what it is that you want out of your life? Yeah, I think number one is make the decision once and just make it mm -hmm. but the caveat to that is I'm aware you have to have made the journey to get to the point where the decision and I you know spent years cycling round and around and around but I think I just knew it's I feel now that if I go back to drinking I will just be at this point again in another few years time and I'm just sick of cycling round and around yeah. um so make the decision and you've got a lovely quote on your website from someone sporty I made the decision and then I never yeah the Mike, Michael Jordan once I made the decision I never thought about it again yes that exactly that so that's my first best tool I think mm. and then my second is play the tape forward so when you think about that drink 
think about what that drink then opens the door to, which is the next drink and the next drink. So um, which kind of links with the third best tool is dismantle the fantasies you have about drinking. Um, because if you're constantly thinking back to, you know, lovely sunny days in the beer garden with your friends, that that's not a helpful image to have in your head. And it's not true. Yes, the first drink probably was lovely. But again, you play the tape forward, it leads to the others. And then it takes you two and a half years later back to where you started just, you know, wanting to drink but hating it whilst you're doing it and that's an awful place to be stuck mm. that the only time you enjoy drinking is when you're about to do it for the first yes. time that day yes. and then the minute that drink goes to your lips you're back in that cycle of why are you doing this you know where this is going to lead you're useless I hate myself why can't you control this oh just so blissful to not have that yeah so I would say make the decision play the tape forward and dismantle the fantasies you have about drinking those would be my best tools for myself and and focus on the positives number four be grateful for the other things yeah absolutely um and I suppose if people are listening to this and they're thinking gosh you know um I could really do with some help but I'm unsure about reaching out for mm -hmm. help and I don't know if you know coaching is mm -hmm. the way forward because there are so many kind of free resources out there and free groups and and all the rest of it uh, which are amazing but sometimes people need a little bit more so what mm -hmm. would you say kind of how the coaching helped you in a way that joining a free group might not have done like what is the value in yeah I I think um because I did a bit of a scattergun approach when I got back from that fateful holiday um mm. so I also signed up with Tempest which is um Holly Whitaker wrote a book called Quit Like a Woman which I really recommend I thought it was brilliant yeah. but but the trouble with being one anonymous voice amongst a lot of voices like I promised myself I would show up to those groups and I didn't because life is busy and we have so many things pulling on our time um and again this like one year no beer I've signed I've been through all of them <laughs> I signed up for that as well but that's I don't know it's great don't get me wrong and I appreciate it every day they send you a little um video link and it's all very well done but it's a bit more laddish and it's a bit more like couch to 5k and it's like yeah, I've just entered an Ironman. I don't need you to tell me to get off the sofa and run <laughs> two minutes today. Um, it wasn't quite right. I think what one-on-one -on -one coaching offers is a personal approach and someone who is there to listen to you. And whilst it feels quite indulgent, and I did dilemma about whether I was, um, I suppose, spending money that I shouldn't spend because I should be able to do this by myself, all those awful should words, yeah. Um, a friend of mine who's American actually said, for God's sake, Kate, if it's helping you, just pay the bloody money and accept the woman's help. And, you know, that was the most valuable bit of advice um, because it's that personalized thing and the f that you, you feel so vulnerable when you're opening up about all this kind of stuff that to have someone who cares about you, not you in a Facebook group or you on a, on a platform of a, a hundred other people, because although I think a lot of our experiences are, are shared, actually the sort of nuances of your own personal situation are different. And I think for, you know, the fact that you're on the end of a text message at any time, um, it's, just, it's just that personal touch. It makes you feel held for want of a better word and give you um, 
the confidence and the ability to open up and be vulnerable to one person who you build a relationship with rather than having an anonymous group of strangers who kind of keep you buoyed up with pithy sayings but really perhaps don't understand but I think it's probably individual for me um I I found it very difficult to kind of put myself out there in the public space but once I started talking to you it was very easy to be open and honest mm. so I think it's a really valuable um, thing and I would encourage people to do it because the worst case scenario is it doesn't work for you and then you don't have to continue you can always stop <laughs> yeah yeah and I think it's important as well to kind of and you touched on that about feeling indulgent yeah in the whole scheme of things, you know, the amount of money that we spend on alcohol without a second thought is probably, you know, even if you do this for six months or a year, then you will recoup that money back. Yeah, well, it's funny, I I did that thought experiment, actually, when we were coming up to resign, (laughs) because I think we, we, I signed with you for a month, didn't I? And that's when I had the conversation with my friend towards the end of that month. She was one of the few people I'd, I'd um, confided in. And then she's like, just how much do you spend on alcohol? And I sort of did a mental calculation. And she's like, if just imagine if this woman helps you to stop um, for the rest of your life, like you'll be paid that back thousands of times over. And she's and her being American. She said, you Brits, she said, we should all be in therapy. <laughs> just pay your money and get your therapy, Kate. And as I say, it's, it's money well spent because um, you'll recoup it back. And, and again, the skills I've learned with you are not just related to being alcohol free. They can be um, you know, um, put out into all our areas of my life. So yeah, it's the best money I've ever spent, Gail. <laughs> I double <laughs> Yeah, but I think it kind of shows us that actually we are worth this indulgence, yeah. if you like, because so often, yeah. I don't know, as women, especially, we kind of put ourselves at the bottom of the list. Um, we do. You know, for Christmas, I bought myself three books and I was like, oh my God, three books, that's outrageous. <laughs> but actually, you know, I do deserve to treat myself. And if yes. I want three books or if I want to spend money on improving my life, changing my mm-hmm. life, then surely I'm worth it. So yeah. I think just making the decision that I'm going to invest in myself sends yeah. us a very important message that's often overlooked. yes I agree and I think at the time when we're making that decision it's a time when we actually feel that we're not of value because you're in the midst of that self-loathing yeah. shame and all that cycle and um, so it's quite a hard time to be able to step back and say no I do need support and it's worth me paying for it like mm-hmm. now six months later when I my I said to you um a few months ago I feel like you've replaced all the dark rain clouds in my head with rainbows and you know fairies and unicorns it really really does and that was after the pink cloud had gone as well um but I I think it's easy for me now to see that it was money well spent but at the time you're in this kind of like I don't deserve this I should do this and I should be able to do that and I should be able to be in control well the point is you're not so just pay the money (laughs) and take the help because it's worth it yeah the help is so so important Um, Mm. so what's next for Kate then well that's a great question so in May I'm having a career change I hope yeah. <laughs> um so I'm really excited about that um 
it probably won't be a permanent career change, but just a, a, a career break. I think that would be the best way to say it. So I'm hoping to go off to culinary school and learn to be a chef. So that's, I might be back in touch with you then <laughs> in the coaching platform because um, yeah, it's a school of food and wine and I haven't quite decided how I'm going to navigate that. I was reading on their website, I believe you can actually do the certification without actually having to drink the wine. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that near the time, Gail. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, uh, and this is this is the first sort of step on that process to be a bit brave and speak out. Um, as I said right at the beginning, um, I think there's a lot of people like me, a lot of people like me in, in the medical profession who that term grey area drinkers who don't have dependence problems, they're not alcoholics, but they are not comfortable with the way that they drink. They, they fall into that grey area drinking where life could be better without it. Yeah. And I feel, and I'm a bit nervous to even vocalize this because you tend to do the things that you say you might do, but I might be brave enough to start speaking out about it within my own profession. Um, because um, in anesthesia, there's a lot of stuff around wellness because of the stressful nature of the job, um, the sort of antisocial hours that we work. Um, so wellness is quite a well-developed area, but we still don't talk about booze. It's kind of glossed over it's all talked about in positive terms of the you know winding down at the end of the week so perhaps if I'm braver than I'm feeling quite at the moment I might sort of try and open that conversation within our profession and see where that goes <laughs> wow okay that's so exciting really is compared to kind of and I know you feel a bit nervous and a bit scared about it but you know what it might just happen naturally because you are so happy with where you are now you might find people just kind of notice that and ask you questions yeah so it could probably just evolve naturally on its own which is such a good thing because I do think the more conversations we have the far better for everybody yeah Yeah. I just I just I'll I really feel strongly that I don't think people should feel on their own or feel like they're in their own kind of craziness in their heads because I think so many of us feel that way we just don't like to talk about it because we don't want to be vulnerable or lose whose face really yeah yeah oh well keep me posted let me know well for sure everything (laughs) goes um and just I suppose one piece of final advice I suppose if anybody's listening to this and they're in that kind of situation where you were um Mm. like what shall I do what advice would you give to that person who doesn't really know where to go next I think I would um if they haven't read this naked mind by Annie Grace I would read that it is life-changing book and um, works on the basis of reprogramming your subconscious because I think you have to believe that you're not giving something up to make this stick so that you don't live a life of constant deprivation because that's miserable and no one wants to do that and then um, I I think just you know if, if you're in that moderation cycle stop asking the question am I an alcoholic because it's not helpful and you you know I can only speak from my own experience so it's not like I can tell anyone else what to do but if you're questioning moderation a million people before you would tell you it doesn't work just fast forward to the end of the merry-go-round and stop trying to moderate and just give up because life is so much better on the other side so much better 
um there's that thing in Claire Pooley's book about the rabbit field um oh, yeah. I'm not going to tell the well but basically yeah there's a rabbit and they know that there's a beautiful field on the other side they just have to get over the obstacle course and they keep falling at the obstacles and ending up stuck and the rabbits on the other side are saying it's brilliant well it really is brilliant over here in this field and um it's worth it's worth the few weeks or months of of, of obstacle climbing to get to this field um so I, I would say just stop trying to moderate it's it's a crazy endless cycle of failure and um reach out for the help that is available on the internet now read books listen to podcasts realize you're not on your own and if other people can do it then you can do it too yeah. for sure yeah oh thank you Kate thank you so much really enjoyed this thank you and thank you Gail for the last six months honestly you've you've literally changed my life <laughs> thank Aww. you Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share and subscribe. For more help and support, go to the Sober Bliss website, soberbliss.com. Connect with me on social media and learn how I can help you quit drinking and start living. <laughs>